The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be discussing the history of Voldemort's faithful servants, the Death Eaters. Specifically, we'll be looking at their founder, how they formed, what name they originally operated under, how you can become a Death Eater, why some members weren't purebloods, their role in both Wizarding Wars, and what happened to the Death Eaters after the Second Wizarding War had ended. Let's get into it. Tom Riddle It all started with a young orphan boy by the name of Tom Riddle, who began attending Hogwarts school in 1938. Though on the outside Riddle appeared to be a normal young man, deep down he had an unimaginable number of demons. Demons that haunted him every single day of his life. Why? Well, Tom didn't exactly have a normal childhood. He was abandoned by his witch mother, Merope Gaunt, at the steps of War's Orphanage right at the time of his birth. Merope was a pure-blood witch and the daughter of Marvolo Gaunt, an evil wizard and descendant of Salazar Slytherin. Merope grew up in a small town called Little Hangleton, and in her later years developed an obsession with a muggle that lived nearby, Tom Riddle Sr., a handsome and wealthy muggle. At one point in time, both Merope's brother and father were banished to Azkaban, which meant that she was in their little shack in Little Hangleton by herself. Alone for months on end with nothing but time to let thoughts fester, this only fueled Merope to take action on her obsession with this local muggle man. However, she didn't know how she was going to approach it. What could she offer this handsome, wealthy muggle? She didn't have much, and though she was a witch, she wasn't even particularly good at performing magic, the result of suppressed magical capabilities through years of abuse from her brother and father. But eventually, Merope did come up with an idea. She would create a love potion. And with her newly liberated circumstances, life without her brother and father, her magical abilities had blossomed just enough for her to be able to produce one. Eventually, Merope got an opportunity to give Riddle the potion that she had concocted, likely in a glass of water or some other drink, and from this point, their relationship snowballed. Right after drinking the potion, he became infatuated with Merope, and just a few months later, the two were married and Merope was pregnant with Tom's child. Things were going great for the pair, but one day, it weighed heavy on Merope's heart that she may just be living a lie. Was their whole relationship just a product of the potion? Eventually, Merope dropped the enchantment on Riddle Senior, hoping that he would love her regardless. But of course, this backfired massively, and Riddle immediately left Merope, leaving her pregnant and destitute. After losing her husband, Merope had lost her will to live, which prompted her, in one last act of hopeless desperation, to head to Wald's Orphanage in London, where she would leave young Tom on the front steps. Her dying wish was that the boy be named after his father. Origins Because Tom Riddle Jr. never had a mother or father figure, he also never had any concept of love or family. Like many powerful, evil, and enigmatic figures of history, Riddle had a rough start to his life, and this paved the way for the dark path that he was destined to follow. But when Riddle eventually began to act on his dark nature and began pursuing dark endeavors, he wasn't alone, and he was able to bring many other dark witches and wizards along for the ride. Cue the first iteration of the Death Eaters, the Knights of Walpurgis. 
In an interview with Newsround in 2003, Rowling first reveals a snippet of information about a group that preceded the Death Eaters. Here is the history of the Death Eaters, and I don't know that I'll ever actually need it, but at some point, they were called something different. They were called the Knights of Walpurgis. I don't know if I'll need it, but I like knowing it. I like to keep that sort of stuff on hand. Who were the Knights of Walpurgis? What's that all about? Who were they? After being discovered in Wool's Orphanage, Tom was introduced to the Wizarding World, which meant that, just like most other young magical children, he ended up attending Hogwarts. And as you can probably imagine, Tom ended up in Slytherin House. Tom may have lacked certain necessary human emotions, but that didn't mean he couldn't control people. His cunning and manipulative nature eventually meant that he would form a gang of sorts, a group consisting of his fellow Slytherin students. He had convinced these witches and wizards that he was their friend and gained their trust, but in reality, Riddle had no desire for friends and simply wanted to use them for his own selfish endeavors. The gang that Riddle formed was once described by Dumbledore, who worked at Hogwarts during this time, as a mixture of the weak seeking protection, the ambitious seeking glory, and the thuggish seeking a leader who could show them more refined cruelty. So, the Knights of Walpurgis were fellow Slytherin students that were classmates of Tom Riddle, sure, but where on earth did that name come from? From what I've been able to find, the closest thing relating to Walpurgis that makes sense is Walpurgisnacht or Walpurgis Night, which is a pagan holiday that falls on the eve of the Feast of St. Walpurgis, a saint of the Roman Catholic Church. Walpurgis Night was when, according to the belief of millions of people, the devil was abroad, when the graves were opened and the dead came forth and walked, when all evil things of earth and air and water held revel. Walpurgis Night has also been associated with witchcraft. In German folklore, for example, Walpurgis Night gathers witches from all over the land together for a great Sabbath on top of the Brocken, also known as the Blocksberg, the highest peak of the Hartz mountain range. But if we fast forward to the year 1970, 32 years after Tom Riddle had started attending Hogwarts and the beginning of Voldemort's rise to power, these Knights of Walpurgis were known by a different name, Death Eaters. As far as dark witches and wizards went, the Death Eaters were the worst. Their group was comprised of evil witches and wizards that were all hell-bent on pursuing their dark ambitions. They were the followers of Lord Voldemort, and they obeyed his every bidding in an effort to cleanse the wizarding world, the ultimate goal being to restore pure-blood authority. They were pure-blood radical supremacists, ever bloodthirsty and always more than eager to resort to the darkest of deeds if it meant achieving their goal of blood purity. Recruitment Some of Voldemort's Death Eaters had been with him since the beginning, fellow classmates and members of his original gang. I suppose another portion of the Death Eaters came from the family lineage of the original members. But how did Voldemort recruit the rest of his followers? By the year 1970, Voldemort controlled an army. Who gets to officially decide who becomes a Death Eater? Do they just let in anyone that's in alignment with their cause? Is it purely up to Voldemort to decide on new Death Eaters? Or can existing Death Eaters invite new witches wizards to join their group? We know for sure that there's some kind of recruitment process in play, because Dumbledore and Slughorn discuss it in the Half-Blood Prince. What would the Death Eaters want with a poor, broken-down old buffer like me? demanded Slughorn. 
I imagine that they would want you to turn your considerable talents to coercion, torture, and murder, said Dumbledore. Are you really telling me that they haven't come recruiting yet? There are a few reasons why someone like Slughorn would be a target for recruitment. First of all, Horace Slughorn is a pure-blood wizard, and I imagine that's probably the most important aspect that the Death Eaters consider when bringing in someone new. They are working against witches and wizards with dirty blood, so bringing anyone on with dirty blood themselves wouldn't make much sense. There are a few exceptions that have slipped through the cracks, like Snape, who is a half-blood. However, I imagine that these exceptions are only made for witches and wizards that are extremely powerful, talented, and have a significant amount to offer to their cause. That's probably the second requirement for recruitment, some form of magical talent. Any kind of magical talent can very easily translate into sinister, magical application, and that's probably the other main reason that they targeted Slughorn. These requirements established, I have a couple of theories for how Death Eaters are formally recruited. My first theory is that Lord Voldemort handpicks all subjects himself, and simply sends his followers off to retrieve them. He's an incredibly powerful wizard with the ability to read people's minds, and I think that, with all of his talents, he would be the best person to choose his own followers, as he would be able to quickly figure out if they were truly in allegiance with him or not. Voldemort makes an executive decision on who he wants, and if they don't agree to his terms, they either join or die. My second theory involves Voldemort's existing followers, and a sort of Death Eater sponsorship program, which would allow Death Eaters to bring on new recruits, vouching for them. You would be brought before Lord Voldemort, at which point he would analyze you, likely using legitimacy to uncover your true intentions. He would then set you off on some kind of initiation to prove to him that you are worthy. What this initiation would involve is not stated anywhere, but I would imagine that, similar to joining a gang, it would involve a hit or sinister act of some sort. The Death Eaters are all huge proponents of the unforgivable curses, so I would imagine that it would involve them in some capacity, perhaps having to control, torture, or kill someone or maybe even a combination of the three. After successfully completing your mission, you would then return to Lord Voldemort and he would either approve or deny your application. If you weren't worthy, I expect he'd just kill you. And if you did prove your worth, I suspect that Voldemort or one of the existing Death Eaters would come along and engrave the sinister mark of the Death Eaters on your arm. The Dark Mark Just because you've joined Voldemort's ranks, it still doesn't mean that you're an official Death Eater. In order to truly be considered one of his servants, the Dark Mark needs to be magically etched into the skin. The Dark Mark is a fear-inspiring symbol that represents their goal of cleansing the wizarding world, and is used by them as a way of inciting fear in the general population, often projecting it into the sky using the curse Mort Mortre. Then he realized that it was a colossal skull, composed of what looked like emerald stars, with a serpent protruding from its mouth like a tongue. As they watched, it rose higher and higher, blazing in a haze of greenish smoke, etched against the black sky like a new constellation. Arthur Weasley had a lot to say about the symbol. You know who and his followers sent the dark mark into the air whenever they killed. The terror it inspired, you have no idea. You're too young. Just picture coming home and finding the dark mark hovering over your house, and knowing what you're about to find inside. Everyone's worst fear. The very worst. 
A distinction should be made between the symbol that is projected into the sky and the symbol on their arm, however, as the one in the sky is a simplified version of the one they bear on their arm, which is much more intricate. This mark was reserved for Voldemort's most loyal, devout, and most importantly, worthy followers, which is why someone like Greyback, a werewolf, never received this honor. Ranks Allies With the aforementioned distinction made between wizards with a dark mark and someone like Fenrir who merely served the Death Eaters, I thought I'd discuss the Death Eater Chain of Command, or Hierarchy. It goes something like this. Voldemort is at the top. His most senior Death Eaters, in a circle, are below him. Lower ranking Death Eaters, still brandished with the Dark Mark, are below them. Followers of the Death Eaters without a Dark Mark but who were allowed to wear Death Eater garments were below them, and everyone else who followed Voldemort was below them. His innermost circle was comprised of people like Bellatrix, Barty Crouch Jr., Dolohov, Rookwood, Yaxley, Snape, and Malfoy, to name a few. This circle also likely included those who went to school with him and were members of the Knights of Walpurgis. The lower level Death Eaters were comprised of family members of his inner circle, Death Eaters that had only recently joined the cause, and those who weren't respected enough by Voldemort to deserve being any closer to him. This group were given more menial tasks in comparison to his innermost circle. The next level down were followers of Voldemort that were not granted Death Eater status or given the Dark Mark, but were allowed to wear Death Eater garments in order to command the respect they engendered. This group was comprised of individuals that Voldemort found useful but did not want to directly associate himself with. A good example of someone in this category would be Fenrir Greyback. The next level down was comprised of everyone else. This included individuals who served him under the Imperius Curse, individuals who were pressed into Death Eater service out of fear, and of course their many allies. Allied with the Death Eaters were all manners of dark creatures, including giants, dementors, and werewolves, who were all convinced to join Voldemort's cause by way of false promises. The latter group in this hierarchy was used as cannon fodder during Voldemort's initial advance on Hogwarts. First Wizarding War By the year 1970, Voldemort and his group of Death Eaters were organized and ready to wreak havoc on the Wizarding world. This year marked the beginning of the First Wizarding War and 11 years of conflict that would follow. This was the first official reign of Lord Voldemort, and as the years went by, he only grew more and more powerful. Most Death Eater activity during the First Wizarding War consisted of stealth attacks, torture, espionage, and mass killings and most often these attacks were by order of Lord Voldemort, but not always. Sometimes the Death Eaters orchestrated their own mass killings, and this fact inspired terror in the wizarding community. The first wizarding war was a time of fear, as the wizarding community hadn't seen anyone even remotely comparable to Voldemort since Grindelwald. But even then, Voldemort was new. He was dangerous and unpredictable. There was a lot of uncertainty, and Voldemort's powerful legions of followers only helped contribute to the ominous feeling of what might happen to the wizarding world. After Voldemort's initial fall at the hands of Lily Evans and Harry Potter, it took a long time for the Death Eaters to catch on. To them, Voldemort was this powerful and untouchable, almost godlike figure. If he had gone missing, then surely he couldn't have been defeated. Some continued to commit atrocities in Voldemort's name, trying to figure out information about his whereabouts. 
Such was the case with Bellatrix, Rodolphus, and Rabistan Lestrange and Barty Crouch Jr, who tortured the Longbottoms to insanity, trying to get information from them. Others, namely the Lower Downs, fell into chaos. Without Voldemort's direction or comfort brought from being tied to his regime, the remaining Death Eaters were left with few options. And this is when the Ministry of Magic, along with the Order of the Phoenix, decided to take action. With the temporary legalization of the unforgivable curses, the good guys went after the remaining scattered Death Eaters and began to take them out one by one. Many were killed, many were immediately imprisoned, and a few of them went to trial. Some were even able to elude justice by claiming that they had merely been serving Voldemort due to the Imperious Curse. But one thing was for sure, this marked the end of the Death Eaters, at least for a little while. Second Wizarding War Thirteen years after Voldemort's initial downfall and the defeat of the Death Eaters, the ominous dark curse Mor Mortre was cast into the sky at the Quidditch World Cup, signaling the return of Voldemort's followers. For many, this was a tough pill to swallow, as it likely meant that Voldemort too had returned, though this was not confirmed for a few more years. This was the first Death Eater attack in over a decade, and it was a sign of more horrible things to come. After getting his body back, Voldemort summons the remaining Death Eaters to the Little Hangleton Graveyard, where he makes an announcement. Welcome, Death Eaters. Thirteen years, thirteen years since we last met, yet you answer my call as though it were yesterday. We are still united under the dark mark, then. Or are we? I smell guilt. There is a stench of guilt upon the air. I see you all, whole and healthy, with your powers intact. Such prompt appearances, and I ask myself, why did this band of wizards never come to the aid of their master, to whom they swore eternal loyalty? And I answer myself, they must have believed me broken. They thought I was gone. They slipped back among my enemies, and they pleaded innocence, and ignorance, and bewitchment. The motivation for Voldemort's monologue was disloyalty, as many of his followers disappeared into the shadows after his disappearance, making no effort to find their master. However, this was not the case for all of his followers, as people like Bellatrix and Barty Crouch Jr. remained loyal to the bitter end, searching for him for many years. This group of Death Eaters, with the absence of a few who didn't return his call, then vowed thirteen years of repayment to Voldemort, a penance for their wavered loyalty. And it was this same group of Death Eaters that caused all sorts of mayhem in the lead up to and during the Second Wizarding War. Between the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, the Battle of the Astronomy Tower, the Battle of the Seven Potters, the Fall of the Ministry of Magic, and the Skirmish at Malfoy Manor, the Second Wizarding War resulted in copious casualties on both sides. But it wasn't until the Battle of Hogwarts and the defeat of Lord Voldemort at the hands of Harry that the Death Eaters met their ultimate end. This time, Voldemort's Horcruxes had been destroyed, taking away any possibility of him returning, and his senior Death Eaters were dead, which eliminated any possibility for a future resurgence. After the war, after the Battle of Hogwarts, there was only one thing that mattered, Lord Voldemort was dead, and with his end, the Wizarding World was finally free from the terror that shook it to its core for the past few decades. But even though Voldemort was gone and the Death Eaters had dissolved, not all of the Dark Wizards who took part in the Battle of Hogwarts were dead. What happened to them? 
Conventional wisdom would point to Azkaban. Just like the Death Eaters from the first Wizarding War, the Dark Wizards from this conflict were being sent back to that Wizarding prison to serve life sentences, only this time they had no chance of ever getting out. But there's always the possibility that some walked free, narrowly escaping the justice system and dropping off the map entirely. We may never know what happened to individuals like Electo and Amicus Caro, who tortured the Hogwarts students during Snape's tenure as headmaster, or Augustus Rookwood, an unspeakable for the Ministry of Magic. If you want a full deep dive into what happened to the Death Eaters after the war, I've covered this topic as well. And that concludes today's video. I hope you learned a little bit about the history of the Death Eaters. If you have any remaining questions on the topic or have any topic requests, be sure to comment them down below. And until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.